Welcome to another edition of the Unicorns Podcast. This is a podcast series featuring business leaders, motivators, innovators, and general go-getters. Well, surely one of the best things to eat anywhere in the world are oysters. I absolutely love them. There's nothing better in my book. And the absolute standout in the world of oysters is the Sydney Rock Oyster. It's the Grange of all oysters. They're a delicious addition to a family feast at Easter or Christmas, and they're a fancy entree at any upmarket restaurant. But did you know that Sydney Rock Oysters are one of the rarest types of oysters anywhere on the planet, making up just 1% of all commercially produced oysters globally? The majority about 95% of oysters are Pacific oysters. Sydney rocks grow along the east coast of Australia and nowhere else in the world. Despite many farmers trying over many centuries, they just don't like the conditions anywhere else. Sadly, this year's stocks have been decimated by floods and a disease called QX that has killed 30% of all Sydney rock oyster production, limiting supply and putting future production in jeopardy. For example, the Port Stephens region of New South Wales, north of Sydney, is a perfect area to grow Sydney rock oysters, but it's been hit hard by this disease and it has significantly impacted supply. Brad Verdich is an oyster farmer in the area. He works for listed ASX company East 33. G'day Brad, welcome to the program. G'day Justin, pleasure to be here. Brad, it's been a very tough year for Sydney rock oyster farmers. Tell us what's happened over the last 18 months or so to reach this point. Yeah, look, with the high amount of rainfall that we've experienced over the last two or three years, um, that's led to uh, flooding on our south coast that have washed down the remnants of the fires that came through there, which has affected the crops. We've had flooding on the north coast, which has washed away infrastructure right out to sea that had to be rebuilt and start again from scratch. And that high rainfall has also contributed to the QX virus or Queensland unknown virus taking mm. a foothold in the Port Stephens region. Um, so it's been, even though... Rain is a good thing for oyster farming. We need a certain amount of rain to flush the water, the ecosystem out and uh, provide a different nutrient source for the oysters. We've been uh, having a higher than average rainfall over the last three years severely impacts the uh, the growth and the, the mortality rates of our oysters. So when did um, you get a sense that something was wrong up there at, at Port Stephens? How long ago did did the warning signs start to develop? Uh, I think it was, don't quote me on this one, but I think it was uh, around July, August last year that we were notified by the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries that QX had been identified in um, certain areas of the port. From there, they went along and tested in other areas and found although it was present, it hadn't affected as much, but give it a couple of months down the track and yes it had impacted and and fairly well devastated the majority of the port and so what actually happens what 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 physically happens to the oysters when they're impacted by this disease 
So there's a, a parasite which uh, inflames the, the gut of the oyster and prevents them from processing food and getting nutrition from, from their environment. Um, the, the virus doesn't only live in the oyster. It's a two-stage virus that spends half its time in the mud and then half the time in the oyster itself. You can go there and look at your oysters one week and not detect the oyster, not detect the virus, and come back the next week and it's uh, infecting the majority of your crop. And and subsequently, what happens? Do you have to throw like they can't be they can't be eaten? They're they're not good for consumption. What 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 actually happens? So it doesn't affect humans. So they're safe for humans to eat if they are infected with the virus. But imagine if you yourself didn't eat for two or three weeks, how skinny and and run down and gaunt you'd feel and look. That's what happens with our oysters. And our Sydney rock oysters, we're trying to present them in the fullest condition and the, the most creamy condition we can, we can uh, achieve. Um, and that virus takes away that condition. It does the opposite. So they're not an attractive or appealing product when the QX virus has affected them. Now, on a tray of oysters, they might have 600 oysters on the tray. There might be you know, 20% of the oysters on that tray might be still viable product. Um, so... Mm. Farmers have been making the hard choice, well, do we harvest those oysters and, and process them, trying to retain and save and, and sell that 20% when you've got to go through that other 80%, which are either already dead and obviously dead, which is okay, we can sort through those, but when they're only still alive, you've got to go to the effort of processing and opening them to determine how, how their condition is, you're left with, a, left with a hard choice. And so paint us a picture Brad, of what has actually happened up at, at Port Stephens. Give us some numbers around the scale of, of this particular issue that's, that's affected the region. Port Stephens as a whole has been producing 15% of uh, the Sydney rock oyster crop over the last five or six years, about an average of 15% of the, of the total 70-odd million crop. They're estimating that 80 to 90% of that crop has been devastated over the last 18 months. Um, so that's a, a 15% decrease just there in Port Stephens in terms of the production that's coming out of Sydney rock oysters coming into the market this season. That combined with the flooding effects on the north coast and south coast, uh, we're talking numbers around the 20 million to 30 million oysters less than what were produced last year. And so what does that actually mean then for oyster supply all across Australia? Look, it's a it's a finite number of oysters that we can produce. It's not like uh, uh, farmers can go out and say, okay, we want more, we're going to produce more on a turn of a dime. It's a three-year process that it takes to grow a Sydney rock oyster from catching them in the wild or growing them in the hatchery. Three years. Three years. So I'll back, to, back that up with the investment in infrastructure. If we want to increase the, um, the production, then we have to... In- re-establish infrastructure that could have been washed away with floods or change the type of infrastructure to suit changing environmental conditions and, um, and impacts that the flooding and rains have been having. And so what are farmers doing to stay afloat? Is it as simple as switching, I mentioned in my introduction, switching to Pacific oysters or is it more complicated than that? Look, some farmers are taking advantage of the ability to switch to Pacific oysters. Um, Pacific oysters grow to a market size in 18, 12 to 18 months, um, which is far faster turnaround than a, mm. a three-year turnaround for a Sydney rock. They're still they're a great oyster, um, a great product, but they're an introduced product. They're not a native product. 
Um, my history personally has been growing Sydney rock oysters um, and we have tried and, and experimented with growing some Pacific oysters, but my personal preference is for you know, to grow Sydney rock oysters and to savour that product. Some of the farm, other farmers have uh, walked away and waited to, they've stepped away from their farm and taken work off farm to carry themselves through the harder times. Um, they've put off staff. They've, um, so they've just closed up shop because they, they just can't continue on. There have been some farmers that have closed up shop and just and sold their leases or hand their leases back in. Other farmers have said, okay, I'm going to wait a period of time and I'm going to work off farm um, and gain extra income that way. And then on the weekends and after their day job, they're going back to the farm to work the farm themselves and hoping that they can get a return in three years. Other people have mm. uh, been in a position where they can invest directly into uh, Pacific oysters and they're going down that path. So, Brad, if um, if QX is in Port Stevens now, can w- will it always be there, or can does it like just wash away over time, or is it that sort of infected now forever? What's what what's the future there for Sydney Rocks? So, the testing that DPI have done over the last couple of decades has indicated that QX is present in every estuary up and down the east coast of New South Wales. Mm-hmm. It's environmental environmental conditions that allow it to take hold and, and um, replicate at a rapid rate and take hold of an oyster crop. What we're looking at here is to say, in Port Stevens in particular, that QX was present in the background in low levels. The high rainfall events that we've had over the last three years have probably been a triggering event to allow right. the, the, the QX virus to take hold. Um, so will it always be the case that it's always there? Not necessarily. Um, mm. There's a, if you If we go and do testing and I think I think it's three years might be four years successively that reduce the level of uh, QX we can go from a high risk to a medium risk and then to low risk each of those three years allowing oysters to be moved and transshipped between estuaries again um, but it doesn't as, as we said it doesn't necessarily mean that QX will always be in Port Stevens in a way in a manner which will be affecting the whole port and the whole all the prop at, for the foreseeable future, it's a uh, it's a risk and something you need to, we need to observe and plan for and strategize around. So, for those that don't know, what what are the biggest differences between Sydney rock oysters and Pacific oysters? As I mentioned before, the probably the biggest difference from a farming perspective is their speed of growth. Um, a Pacific oyster, twelve to eighteen months to market size. Sydney rock, three to four years, depending on the size that you want to grow to um, the the shape of a Pacific oyster tends to be more um, spiny and spiky um, when left to its natural form um, but the growing techniques that oyster farmers are employing these days allow for a smoothing of those edges and a rounding of the shape um, a Pacific oyster tends to have a whiter shell and a whiter meat whereas the Sydney rock oyster tends to have a creamier shell and a creamier meat. So if you're at a restaurant and you get two oysters, one's a Sydney rock, one's a Pacific, apart from you who's in the know, would the average punter know know the difference, taste the difference, enjoy the difference? Look, there are differences in taste, but it's uh, a, a to me it's not that one's necessarily better than the other. It's more a case that there's a difference. Um, mm. and 
just like wines, we, we try different wines and we try the difference in wines and we, we enjoy the difference. It's enjoying that terroir of a wine and when we look at water, we're looking at meroir of a wine that allows us to um, experience the flavour that comes from individual estuaries and, in fact, individual leases within an estuary have that different mm. flavour. Well, so it's so even, in, even within the same system, uh, oysters can taste different depending yeah. on the location within the estuary. If I have a, an estuary, I have a, two leases close to the river mouth, one on the eastern side of the, sorry, one on the southern side of the channel and one on the northern side of the channel. And those two, that estuary is fed by two separate river systems that flow into it and along different paths. On the southern side, it flows past a seagrass environment and that supplies a certain type of food and nutrients to the oyster. On the northern side, it flows past a mangrove ecosystem and that provides a different type of mm, food source to the oyster. So even though those, those leases might only be 100 metres apart, they're being fed by different, different water sources and they've got a completely different tasting oyster. Could you taste the difference? I suppose you could. You're in the business. I can taste this. I'm not, I'm not a, uh, I haven't got a very refined palate, but it's, a, it's something you can taste from, from day to day and week to week and from lease to lease. Mm. And, it, and to me, that's all about the enjoyment of what an oyster is, is just understanding that there is that difference in taste and flavour profile throughout the season and from lease to lease and from week to week. Well, speaking of enjoyment, losing 30% of um, all stock is a, is a big business expense, especially when costs are going up more broadly. Should we be prepared for an increase in oyster prices, especially leading into Christmas? Yeah, so we've gone to our partner farmers who we've been working with for over 30, 30 years buying oysters and supplying to the domestic market and said, look, we want you to still be in business in 5, 10 and 50 years' time. Um, so we want to reinvest back in you. So we've said, okay, if we give you a higher price per oyster, you're going to give us less oysters. You're still going to have the income you need to produce oysters next year. We'll pass that product, that price increase on to the next person. So we're not going to make a markup on, on that extra dollar per dozen that we're getting from you. We're just going to add a dollar to the price that we charge to the next person along in the supply chain. Um, so, not trying not to price gouge and profiteer, but still trying to support the farmers, similar to what happened in the drought um, in 2017 and 18 when uh, the milk price went from a dollar a litre at the supermarkets to a dollar ten. And that extra ten cents went straight to the farmer's pocket. There was no markup, and no no margin markup on uh, the pro- product at the supermarkets. Well, speaking of markups, if you go to one of the fancy restaurants anywhere, especially on the East Coast, um, oysters can retail for up to seven bucks, one oyster. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on, on the price of oysters in restaurants? Look, the price of oysters in restaurants is uh, up for those in the restaurant industry to set. Um, I guess what we'd like to see though, as an oyster farming community um, is for there to be a differentiation between the price or the what's listed on the menu for a Sydney rock oyster versus a Pacific oyster. Mm. A Sydney rock oyster, by virtue of the fact that it takes three years to grow, should be sold at a higher price than a Pacific oyster is sold at. Just like you would sell a Wagyu steak at a higher price than you'd sell a, a T-bone steak. Um, exactly. If we, 
if we differentiate our product on the menu and we charge a different price, great, no problem. We have a product differentiation that's there. Doesn't mean that you, a T-bone steak is is not worth buying or worth consuming. They're a great piece of meat, just the same as a Pacific oyster is a great piece of meat and a, a Sydney rock oyster is a great piece of meat. But mm. they have a different price point based on the fact that they take a different amount of time to produce and consume that coupled with the rarity of the product. So is there is there proper labelling, Brad, going on at the moment in restaurants? Look, some restaurants are labelling oysters as Sydney Rock oysters when they're on the menu. Some people, some restaurants are labelling them as as just oysters. Just oysters. So what? It's a bit of a it's a bit of a mystery. You don't really know what you're getting unless you ask. Yeah, you can you can ask, and some it'll be different oysters that will be available at different times of of the mm. supply chain cycle. So. Um, it means that if you put oysters on the menu, you can substitute whatever oysters are available and fresh at that time, um, as opposed to going to the deeper, deeper explanation that, okay, we have Sydney rock oysters that may be coming in at a price point of, let's say, $10 an oyster versus a Pacific oyster, which might be coming in at a price point of $6 an oyster. That's the mm. differentiation that we'd like to see, that if there is more than one type of oyster on the menu, that they're identified as the species and that they're uh, the price accordingly. So what else can punters do to help to help farmers like you? Is it is it keep eating Sydney rocks? Is it asking for Sydney rocks at a restaurant? What can we do to support the industry? Well, it's about awareness and understanding. Consuming Pacific oysters is great for the great for consumers and great for the industry as well. But it's about understanding and awareness that there is a difference between the two, mm. and and a willingness to say, well, okay, if a Sydney rock oyster takes that much extra effort to grow and cons- and produce, then I'm willing to pay an extra extra dollar a dozen to receive those oysters and enjoy them. It's a matter of um, more of an education piece and more of awareness and understanding about the differences between the oysters. And um, yeah, I, I encourage people to go out there and get a Pacific oyster and a Sydney Rock oyster on the same plate and taste the difference. So the Pepsi challenge. Yeah, the Pepsi challenge, but Pepsi and Coke to me are both both good so it's sort mm. of um it's a it's just understanding that there is a difference and they can both be enjoyed and they can be compared and contrasted on the same menu and on the same plate so what about in terms of um helping out has uh the new south wales government been offering any assistance any sort of financial reprieve or incentives or research into giving the farmers a helping hand particularly in port stevens at the moment, the New South Wales DPI is conducting testing and studies to understand the impact of the QX virus in the Port Stephens area. Um, that'll allow us to understand uh, when the window of op- farming opportunity is good. At the moment, we believe that the virus uh, replicates at temperatures above 18 degrees Celsius. When the water gets below that temperature, the virus goes relatively dormant and doesn't replicate. So. In the wintertime, that gives you a window of opportunity to function, but with more testing to be done to confirm whether that um, time frame is, or that temperature range is accurate. Mm. State government has um, reduced levies and fees um, for the season. So farmers Good. no longer yes. have to pay um, fees and, uh, and money out that they can save um, at this time. And... Um, yeah, there's a New South Wales breeding program, which is a long-term project designed to find oysters that are QX resistant. So 
So we, in conjunction with the CSIRO, the New South Wales DPI, has been looking at the genetics of oysters, breeding them, cross-matching the family lines, and then exposing them to QX virus and seeing what the survivability and heritability traits of those oysters are to allow us to uh, find a product which not only survives in a QX environment, but thrives in that environment. So why is it that Sydney rocks can't be really grown anywhere else? I mentioned in my introduction, I think that people have tried for, for years to grow them elsewhere, but basically your geographical footprint is, I think, Marimbula in the south of New South Wales, up to essentially up to the border, up to the Tweed. What is it about that area that, that makes it so special for Sydney rocks and other parts of the world just can't handle it? Well, I guess it's uh, the just like any animal, they have a temperature range and an environment that they, they enjoy and prefer. Um, and if you took the Sydney rock oyster into a similar climatic environment around the world, you would get a, uh, a growing oyster and a replicating product. We don't do that because it's now introducing a species into a, in a, in an environment which is not a natural home. Mm. Sydney rock oysters have their predators here. Um, in the New South Wales, Wales coastline that have grown, up, grown and uh, morphed into uh, an animal which targets those oysters. Uh, so the pied oyster eater, stingrays. Um, <laughs> what? what, what? <laughs> the oyster eater? Yeah, so it's a, uh, a, a bird with uh, orange legs and an orange beak that um, walks along the top of the oyster reefs or oyster racks and trays and... Uh, sticks his beak into the side of the oyster and breaks the adductor muscle off and then eats the oyster. Really? God. Yeah. It's, it's hard enough to grow them, let alone to have some birds coming along and knocking them off. If you, if you took those oysters to, uh, let's say, the east coast of Africa, the same um, mm. latitude and longitude, well, I'm getting that wrong there, but the same latitude or the same longitude, one of the two, those oysters would most likely grow well there because they wouldn't have any natural predators there. So you could mm. be taking over an impacting ecosystem there, which wouldn't be beneficial. The same thing has mm. happened here in New South Wales with Pacific oysters being introduced. Um, when they were introduced, they, into Port Stephens in the, I believe it was the 1980s, that vastly affected the growth of Sydney rock oysters because they overgrew um, the, the Sydney rock oysters because the Pacifics grew so much faster and outcompeted them for, for space on the infrastructure and where they were growing them. Even though Sydney rock oysters are a great product and we, we really appreciate them, it's not a necessarily a good idea to want to take them to another environment and try and grow them there. So what about East 33? I'm keen to know more about um, the business. What can you tell us? It is, it is a public company. It's on the ASX with the code E33. Tell us about um, East 33, Brad. Yeah, so essentially it would say a group of nine family oyster farmers that have been brought together under one banner um, and a processing and distribution uh, facility based out of Bankstown. Um, that processing and distribution facility has been in function and operation for over 30 years and some of the families have been oyster farming since the late 1800s. So there's over 100 years of oyster farming experience and heritage and legacy that's been combined into one company um, to you know, bring forward the Sydney rock oyster to the market in a way which hasn't been done in a long time. And is it just Sydney rocks for East 33 or are there any other um, business verticals in there? 
at the moment we only farm Sydney rock oysters, um, but we through our distribution centre in Sydney we also uh, sell and distribute Pacific oysters from uh, Tasmania, South Australia, and on the east coast of New South Wales. Well, all the best, Brad. It's been uh, terrific catching up with you today. It's been um, a tough time for all oyster farmers up there in Port Stephens, and we hope that things can be turned around with. Christmas coming up. It is boom time. Party season starting soon. So we're hoping that there'll be plenty of oysters out there and people are ordering Sydney rocks. Thanks for coming onto the program, Brad, and we wish you all the very best in the future. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Cheers.